2: And so I think for us, especially in the white church, is we have to at least admit there's an issue and we have to at least get to the place where we say we're part of the problem. Apparently.
1: And you're listening to
0: You're My Best
1: Friend. This is getting really spiritual.
0: You're my best friend. With two of
1: my best friends, Moxie Ann. So we're, we're not going to kiss then. And <laughs> Let
0: me tell you this, dropping a taco is a national emergency.
1: You, I'm cutting hey. you off. You're listening to You're My Best Friend, a podcast
0: about life, friendship, and tacos. Here are your hosts, the industrious Moxie Ann and the musing Ruben J. Welcome to Here, my best friend, a podcast about life, friendship, and tacos. My name is Ruben J. And I'm
1: Moxie Ann.
0: Again with with the bad bad British. Again
1: with the bad rolled Rs. What the heck? Man? Whoa,
0: how dare you tell a Mexican that their rolled Rs are terrible? As a singer. Well, then roll an R for me. Do it. Do it. Let me let me see. <laughs> Ruben J. That was terrible. That was that was just absurd and and terrible. And if Simon Cowell was here, Simon Cow, Simon Cowell was here, he would kick you off the X Factor.
1: You were prepared to say that in response to any R I rolled.
0: No, so. no, that's not true. I was I actually had a little bit of hope that your R would have rolled uh, properly.
1: Well, it rolled improperly.
0: Yeah, it was a very it was a very bad R roll. <sighs> How about an eye roll? Well, half the people who are listening to this won't be able to see it, so that works for me.
1: Well, insert roll dies here, folks. (laughs) I don't like you. I don't like you either.
0: You have a lot of sass right now, and I don't know how to feel about it.
1: I, well, you know, it's all for you, my friend. All Uh for you.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So uh, we are here. It is uh, another episode of You Are My Best Friend, and we are Do you know super- what episode it is? Did you have to interrupt me in the middle of a sentence?
1: I did, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Do you know what episode it is?
0: I do know what episode it is.
1: Do you, do you want to say it, or should I? All right. We are on episode numero cuarenta y siete.
0: Wow. That was all... Okay that was all bad
1: okay now you can keep talking
0: hello my name is moxie ann and i am one of the hosts of you're my best friend it's a oh, podcast no, no, no. about life friendship and tacos and this is episode numere corrente siete muchos oh, gratis
1: oh honey no no no
0: don't call me if Shirley. you
1: want to do it like that it's like hello welcome to you're my best friend my name is moxie ann and this is a podcast about life friendship and tacos uh we are on episode this week i i think we're on season number uh cuatro and this 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 week's episode because it's july this week's episode is
0: all right i'm muting i'm muting you 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 are you you just got muted um (laughs) because That was, that was a, a, that was a, a terrible Valley girl, uh, and, and B just, just a bad impression of yourself. Well, uh, (laughs) I like how we are three minutes into this podcast and we've instantly started fighting, (laughs) um, Um, guns out, guns out. (laughs) Well, this is, this is, this is a great, uh, this is a great episode. We had a lot of fun, uh, recording, what you guys are going to be hearing in a little bit but uh moxie we, and we don't have much time because this interview went long um so we it shouldn't is. spend too much time uh, uh what's what lollygagging is that the word lollygagging lo, lo, lo,
1: lo lollygagging
0: lollygagging yeah. uh oh. what's what's other words like that let's let's go and let no i don't have time to do that oh my god uh, you lollygagging <laughs> literally <laughs> the definition uh so let's let's go ahead and dive in to something good uh, brought to you by our friends over at subscribe to our podcast um, over on Apple podcast. If you have an Apple device, uh, by the way, just before we jump into this, if you are having a hard time finding our, our stuff on social media, or just in general, apologize. Uh, first of all, the website's been broken for like three days. We're not going to talk about that, but we have something called a link tree. Uh, and if you go to linktr.ee forward slash the best uh, forward slash best friend podcast. You'll find all of our links. So if you ever have any trouble wanting to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Facebook, our broken website, our YouTube channel, any of that fun stuff, head over to linktr.ee forward slash best friend podcast. You'll find us all on there. So Moxie, it's time for something yes. good.
1: I'm so excited for this week. I discovered this last night, and it's been ruling my world ever since. It's been um, ruining your world. Ruling. Ruling. Ruling.
0: That was a better uh, R-roll.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I uh, I sang classical music for a year. so um,
0: uh, It doesn't show.
1: So this is an article from ScienceAlert.com uh, and it is entitled A Tokyo Aquarium Needs You to FaceTime Their Shy Eels Right Now. Um, this made me so happy. This is uh, the Sumida Aquarium in Tokyo. Basically, they have... 300 garden eels. And these eels have gotten, like, they, they have a lot of visitors all the time. They have them every day. And so the eels were really used to humans. Um, usually these kinds of eels are very cautious around humans. These are like, you know, when you go to the aquarium and they have like the little tiny baby eels that go in and out of the sand, kind of like um, other types of eels. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Ruben hates me right now, but even he's laughing.
0: Um, no, I, 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 I don't hate you. I just laugh that you're just like, you know how like there's the eels that like just go in and out of the stand, like other eels. <laughs> it's like it's like you know how like there's like cheeseburgers, you know, like other hamburgers with cheese.
1: <laughs> okay, but the so the this aquarium closed down in March, and they're uh they they're calling them their keepers. They're like tenders have noticed that they're hiding when people approach because they're, like, forgetting the humans exist. So this aquarium solution was to set up five big tablets along the glass front of the aquarium so that people can FaceTime the eels. And this made me so happy. Like, you know how they have apps now that you can, like, grow a plant or keep a pet or play with penguins on an island? Like, they, there are apps specifically dedicated you- to, like, reducing
0: what do you wait what do you mean now like they used to have like those games that like were all about like keeping pets alive
1: yeah no but i mean like there are apps now where it's like oh raise an animal because it'll reduce stress not like keep a tamagotchi alive and it's gonna stress you the heck out i don't anyway um so this made me really happy because like I feel like right now, not only are you doing something good for a bunch of tiny garden eels that are just really shy and introverted like me, you're also like, think of how therapeutic that is. You get a five minute FaceTime call with a bunch of eels and it's adorable. What do you think, Ruben?
0: Well, if I wanted to, you know, spend some time talking to something that doesn't pay attention to me, I'd talk to you.
1: Well, you're already doing that. I know we have
0: a podcast together. I feel like
1: the eels would pay more attention.
0: Um, I, I I don't know why I'd waste my time. I bet they can't even hear me. I'd be like, hey, cool. eel, how are you? <laughs> cool. You
1: asked me to come up with something good. so
0: The weird part is I'd probably be like tempted to try to eat them somehow because I do like me some eel.
1: Through a FaceTime call?
0: Through... You know what I should do? I should go get me some freshwater eel uh, from the local sushi (laughs) spot down the street here uh, and eat the eel while I'm talking to the eel.
1: All right. So uh, for those of you who are trying to reduce anxiety, FaceTime the eels. And for those of you who are complete sadists, go get sushi and then FaceTime the eels. How's that?
0: sounds sounds like a plan to me uh (laughs) i i I don't don't see how this reduces stress like i know this is called something good uh but this is just this segment's called something good and i'm just calling it today something confusing because i have no idea what what the hell this is about i just i really don't
1: well i think that you just want to be negative so
0: i'm a very positive person
1: oh yeah sure that's why someone hacked our website
0: hey 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 Hey, actually, uh, I found out that it wasn't a hater, uh, who hacked our website. It was just a bad, uh, website plugin. So,
1: oh, I hate that. That's the worst.
0: Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about that some other time. Maybe, you know, maybe on the episode where we're talking about, you know, stuff that gets accidentally deleted, you know, and technology fails, um, or, you know, falling down stairs, uh.
1: Yeah, we should talk about that at some point.
0: We really should. We really should. Uh, but hey, you know what? That was something good. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast right now and you think to yourself, hey, you know what? I have somebody in my life who I think would enjoy this podcast. Do me a favor. Pull out your phone. Copy the link uh, to the, the again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're, we're everywhere now. Uh, and just shoot them a text and say, hey, this podcast, You're My Best Friends, podcast about life, friendship, and tacos. They are wonderful people. Uh, or at least Ruben is, and I think that you would enjoy this podcast. So check it out, and just share this podcast with a friend. This episode in particular, uh, we dive into a bunch of different things uh, about spirituality. Uh, we talk about how Christians should react to the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, how Christians should react to coronavirus uh, and the the forced lockdowns that have happened uh, across this nation. Uh, so I think uh, even if you're not a Christian, I think it's a good podcast to listen to. Uh, and if you are a Christian, I, I would definitely recommend taking notes. Um, Moxie, do you want to tell them? Well, oh, I guess I guess we talked about it in the intro, so we won't. Uh, but, uh, all But
1: right. Just cut down on my talking time, why don't you?
0: Well, I mean, you don't really like talking all that much.
1: Yeah, that's kind of true. I mean, okay, in, rea-
0: in reality, you're like the worst person to start a podcast with because it's like I have to like pull... <laughs> words out of your mouth
1: really do you still do that i feel like you don't anymore
0: pull words out of your mouth
1: yeah i feel like i talk too much
0: no you still don't talk enough
1: oh well fine be that way
0: (laughs) i think here's well again we're lollygagging but i think the problem is is you use really big words and so you think that's you talking a lot you're just using complicated words
1: from the man who just said lollygagging. Wow. Okay. All right,
0: so we're gonna go to commercial break, and when we come back, Ted Cruz
1: with Todd Redbird,
0: Ted Cruz.
1: Todd Redbird, Same thing.
0: Ted Cruz.
1: Cruz. Shit.
0: Coronavirus. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to You're My Best Friend. I am so excited to be introducing our guest today. He is not only a personal friend of mine, but somebody who has lived through an amazing journey of life. He has been a pastor for many, many years and then became a pastor of pastors. And not only that, he is... An incredible author who wrote a book about his struggle with chronic pain. Um, so please welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Todd Retberg. Todd, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, in case you're wondering, his book is called "Life's a Pain." Uh, it's up on on uh, on the screen. Uh, oh. so people can see the book cover. You can go, cool. you know, go over to Amazon, uh, by going to shop.thebest. No, nope, wrong link. Uh, show.com forward slash Amazon. Oh, yeah, this is great. Uh, Amazon and click on the Amazon link. Uh, we'll probably even put that book in the description down below. Uh, but Moxie, why don't you start out by, by telling uh, everyone briefly how you know Todd?
1: Yeah. So Todd and I actually have gone to the same church for a few years, right? Yeah. Um, He, I I don't know how to explain this. I don't know.
0: (laughs) So uh, Moxie, I don't know. Then she gets mad at me because I always, because I didn't let her talk. Uh, So Moxie was in a relationship a while back uh, that led to uh, a a ring on her finger. uh, And during the process of the engagement, uh, Todd was the premarital counseling counselor. Yeah. Yeah. So Todd, why don't you tell me all their little secrets?
2: (laughs) You'd have to pay me a lot more for
0: that. <laughs> what, we're paying you. What? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so you know, let's start from the beginning here, uh, because I don't know you uh, all that much. I've heard I've heard a lot about you, and I've heard a lot about what you what you do and, and your counseling style, and uh, how um, y- how you tell it how it is. Uh, but let's let's jump to to the beginning of your career in ministry and tell me a little bit about how you got started in, in ministry and what drew you to to you know to the life of being a minister.
2: Yeah. So I, I actually, um, worked in the secular world first. I worked for McDonnell Douglas and Boeing for 11 years and about two years into that journey, uh, God called. And so I, uh, I went into seminary at Talbot for about seven years. I was on the Moses plan, very long, took forever. And, uh, then I got out and I, um, I pastored a church uh, in Upland called Sierra Vista community church for 15 years. And, uh, great experience, kind of got burnt out, to be honest, Mm. and uh, had a really rough kind of last year and kind of a a rough leave Mm. and wasn't really sure if I even wanted to do ministry again. Um, And then God led me to this great ministry I'm doing now called Standing Stone. And what we do is pastor pastors. and So we're kind of that safe place for pastors to be able to go and talk to someone confidentially about what it is to be in ministry, how to balance your family and ministry and church and all the stress that they have. And uh, 65 or 65% of all pastors don't have one trusted friend. Mm. And so that's where we try to step in and be that trusted friend where they can tell us anything they want. We're not gonna judge them, we're not gonna condemn them, we're just gonna walk with them in love. And so I've been doing that for the last four years and absolutely just love it. I've got about 60 guys that I meet with uh, kind of once a month and just check in to be sure they're doing okay and try to keep them healthy. Because we believe that if the if leader's healthy that he'll lead or she will lead a uh, an healthy church and that's what we wanna do. So we've got a lot of pastors that are burning out and leaving ministry and we're trying to stop that from happening and keep them in ministry as long as possible.
1: That's incredible. Um, you've been doing that for how long now, four years?
2: Four years, yeah.
1: Pastors, that's a lot of people. Yeah.
2: yeah, I'm not. I'm not bored. That's for sure. But I really love it. I really do love it. It's um, as I've often said, and my wife has often said, "Where we was Standing Stone when we were in ministry?" Because um, the other thing that we do is we have women on staff that also meet with pastors' wives, mm. as well as women in ministry, and just again to be that safe place over a cup of coffee or a breakfast or lunch or dinner. And, um, and the cool thing is, is that we don't charge anything. So all of us raise our own support. And so anytime a pastor goes out with us for lunch, we pay, we pick up the tab and we don't charge anything for our services because we want pastors to be able to have that safe place without, um, stressed out about money. A lot of the guys we work with are pastoring churches of 200 or less wow. and they don't have any money. And so they can't afford a consultant or a coach. So we come alongside and do it for free.
0: So let me, let me ask this because I, uh, you know, you said something that was interesting that you said that, that a lot of them don't have one trusted friend. Um, and, and it's interesting because I've worked with a lot of pastors over, you know, my career just uh, just in general, you know, whether it be on staff officially or just kind of like happening, happening to be in the area and they're like, Hey Ruben, can you do this for us? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And the next thing you know, I, they I keep asking me to do stuff and I'm like, I didn't sign up for this, but you know, a lot of the pastors I've worked with tend to be surrounded by a lot of people. Uh, is, is there a reason that you and your organization maybe have found that people, uh, you know, ministers, pastors, maybe don't have a, a close, a close friend. Cause it seemed like even Jesus kind of modeled having, you know, trusted people around him.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons probably in each, each pastor is different, but what we've found um, kind of across the board is that most pastors have been burnt. So they've been honest, they've been authentic. Hey, I'm struggling in my marriage or, Hey, my faith is really dry right now. And then they get fired. Mm. Um, or they've been close to an elder board uh, or a leader and shared honestly about something they're struggling with. And then that's gotten shared to you know the leadership board of the church. And the next thing you know, the person is fired. So I'll just give you a prime example. I was meeting with a guy. It was the fourth dinner that we'd been meeting over probably four or five months. And he said to me on the fourth dinner, he told I just want you to know I finally trust you. And I was like, I didn't know you didn't trust me. He said, I have been burnt by so many pastors that the only reason I said yes to the first dinner was you were paying. And it took me to the fourth time to go, okay, he doesn't want anything. There's no strings attached. He doesn't want to come preach at my church. He doesn't want to sell a book, you know, whatever. Um, And so there's just been a lot of guys. I've had it happen to me where I was very honest with a board member and um, he decided to gossip around the church about it and came back to bite me. So it's just one of those things, unfortunately, that's there. And so, you know, it only takes one time to be burnt. And all of a sudden pastors just go, fine, I'm going to be smiley on the outside, but I'm not going to tell anyone I have any problems. And, and that's why we got a lot of pastors that are burning out, leaving ministry. Um, the divorce rate amongst pastors is on the rise in a huge way. So just a lot of problems because they don't have anybody to talk to about it. And because a lot of people in their church expect them to be perfect. Which of course yeah, it's impossible.
0: That that's always an interesting thing, you know, because I, I've, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew up uh, Catholic. So, you know, the people who were on, you know, the altar, uh, the stage, you know, they were, they, they present themselves as perfect. You know, they wore really nice robes and, you know, when they weren't on in the robes, they had really nice, you know, attire underneath and then you'd hear about stuff that they did. And it's just kind of like a lot of people get really burned, about, burned about it, you know? And, it's, and, yeah, and so I guess for you, like have you, and obviously you don't have to say names, you don't have to go into detail about anything in particular, but you know, what do you, how do you advise pastors who come to you and say, Hey, listen, I'm struggling with, this there is you know uh, maybe an example uh, is oh there's a woman in my church who's attractive and who's been coming on to me and i don't know how to deal with it without especially in today's culture where like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't in a sense so you know right. what's the advice that you give to a pastor because I, I you know that's one of the things i'm like i don't know how how like pastors can handle sometimes just dealing with people and, and the different messages that you might accidentally give off to to somebody just saying hello
2: yeah um i think a lot of it is um i mean especially today we really strongly counsel pastors not to be alone with women period um if they're counseling women doors wide open another person's in the building um i know some guys that actually have another female in the room and just say if you want counseling for me um there's going to be someone else in the room um for your reputation as well as mine so a lot of that is just to, to some extent, go above and beyond the idea of beyond and reproach. And, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, that's just crazy. Well, it's not crazy today because people are getting accused all the time. And some obviously for legitimate reasons and, and those we want to get rid of. We don't want those kinds of pastors in. But for the guys that are trying to do the right thing and do the, you know, um, you know it's really hard. And, and I think one of the things, too, is that they're criticized so much, um, it's so hard to be a pastor because everybody's upset about something, you know, uh, I'll give you a prime example. When I was pastoring, um, this lady used to come up to me every Sunday and she said, you know, the drums are just too doggone loud. <laughs> and I said, okay, I said, we're building a drum cage. We've heard you, we've heard other people, we're building a drum cage. Just give me, you know, a couple weeks and it'll be done. So first Sunday drum cage, beautiful, all enclosed, you know, with a door and the whole thing. And she comes out to me after church. She goes, I can't hear the drums now. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to kill you right now and make it look like an accident. I mean, he will. You know, I mean, so it's those kinds of things that just drive you crazy as a pastor. And where do you have to go tell people like, I want to kill that lady or I feel like killing that lady. I know that's not spiritual, but I really want to kill her. Um, so it's that kind of stuff that goes on all, you know, a ton of times and, and then people leave the church, you know, well, your kid's ministry wasn't what I needed. So I left or I don't know how many people came up to me when I was pastoring. Hey, we love the church, but we're going somewhere else. Don't take it personally. It's like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? I mean, I'm leading the church. You don't want me to take it personally. So I think there's just a lot of that kind of stuff. And then the other thing too is that it is a 24-7 job. I don't know how many times I got called away from the dinner table because, you know, Joe had a heart attack and I got to go to the hospital Mm. where there's some crisis. I I can remember going to a mental institution in the middle of the night from a granddaughter that was having problems. So just those kinds of things where, you know, it's just so hard to keep a balanced life with your wife and your children. And then you've got this, thing. And everyone's like, well, you're working for God. So you just always got to be on call. Well, not really. I mean, it's a job. I, I know it's a ministry. I know it's an important ministry. I believe in it. I believe in the church, but I do have to have a life outside of the church. And I don't think most people expect a pastor to have a life. They just expect them to be on call.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget too. It's like you have a wife, you probably have kids, probably at some point in your ministry or maybe even still do have your parents around and like other yeah. relationships that are close to you that you still have to pour into and be poured into yourself. And it's like, you know, there's, it used to, I, so I worked for a church for a while where, and we'll probably have this guy on the show at some point where he ref he absolutely 100% refused to answer emails. And he delegated answering emails to somebody else and it would drive the staff of the church absolutely crazy because we're (laughs) like, you, you want us to email you these certain things, but when we do, you're not the one responding to the emails. Some, some other person who we happen to know and and we happen to like, but it just isn't the, the information directly from you. It just drove us crazy. And he's like, well, you know, if I, had to, if I had to answer every Facebook message, text message, email, tweet, you know, phone call and, you know, then meetings and Skypes and all this other stuff, he's like, I'd never have time to do anything else. And he's like, and I wouldn't be able to minister to people properly. Uh, yeah. And it's like something as simple as replying to emails, you know, taking that five minutes, 20 times, you know, a day or hundred times a day adds up a lot. And that can yeah. lead to two hours that he gets to spend with his wife, which is really important.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Before we go any further, though, uh, it's kind of weird. This is the just FYI, for people who are listening to this. uh, This is the the first interview we've done since I think since coronavirus uh, has become a thing that we're sticking to the format. So uh, it is uh, it's time for signature question. What is it? Signature question number signature one. Signature
1: question number one. Okay. Signature that question is number where one. We start with
0: one. One, okay. So <laughs> Unless we want to shuffle it up. We can always go three No, two, no, one. no, no,
1: no. Okay. So, Todd, I have to explain this part of it. It's been a while since we've done this. I almost forgot that we do this. Do what? The signature questions.
0: Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? Where are we? <laughs>
1: Um, so this podcast was built around the uh slogan of life friendship and tacos so every guest that we have on we ask them these three signature questions you're
0: changing this a little bit
1: i am because i forgot how i did it before uh so the first question is it some have called it the hardest one but i might call it the easiest one so
0: i think this is the most important one
1: it is the most important one i think uh all right first signature question what is your favorite taco?
2: Where or what? what like what kind? Yeah well, uh, chicken chicken taco. okay. yeah, definitely chicken taco hard shell, fried up, nice and greasy. Okay, so yes. then I, I guess
0: the natural follow up there is where is your favorite where do you get this taco from? like <laughs> if you had to like if you had a like cause I've found a new taco place that I love in Bakersfield. Yeah. Uh so I know where it's at like I know where my favorite tacos at now. Uh yeah. where's
2: where's yours? It's gotta be Juanita's number two in Rancho Cucamonga. I feel like somebody else mentioned that
0: on the podcast.
1: I think we've had that mentioned before.
2: That is good tacos.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want some I want some tacos now. Okay, we're going. We're going right now? We're going. <laughs> hey Todd, can you wait here for about twenty <laughs> minutes? We're gonna go get some tacos. Um <laughs> Uh so let's talk about the book. Again, the book is called uh Life's a Pain, Journey by Faith When Every Step Hurts, which right now every step does hurt for me. Yeah, <laughs> Literally. you had some
1: issues really. Yeah, right? We won't
0: talk about that right now. Uh but uh let's talk about the book here real quick. Again, uh, there's a link in the description down below in case you're interested in purchasing this. Uh I know that it, it was related to, to chronic migraines. Yeah. Right? So yeah. tell yeah. us about the book and and, and Yeah, so
2: um I've struggled since I was a little kid with migraines. Um, Just kind of got worse over time. You know, I went to elementary school. They got a little worse. Went to high school. They got a little worse. Went to college. They got a little worse. Got married. Then they became really bad. Got a lot worse. (laughs) Um, You know, so just, they've just been going on. And and, um, about 27 years ago, they became daily. Mm. So I wake up with a migraine. I go to sleep with a migraine. Uh, Just kind of, we live on a, one to 10 scale in our house, you know, 10 being kill me now. And, uh, you know, one being, I feel great. And I kind of live most days, at the seven or eight level. Um, when it gets kind of into the nine, 10, I can't get out of bed. So those are days I just try to sleep. Um, and I have a few of those a month typically. Mm. So I got to the place where, and I don't know where I got this, but when I got into ministry, for some reason, I thought, Oh God's just going to heal me. I mean, He doesn't want a pastor that's suffering all the time. He wants me to feel good and, you know, be able to do my job. And they actually got worse. And so in about 2010, I was at a pastor's conference, and they had this uh, time where you could have time with a sage. So it was an old guy, you know, some old guys that had been Christians for 60-plus years. And I got a guy named Calvin Miller. Now, Calvin Miller has um, since passed away. But Calvin Miller wrote 40 or 50 Christian books, um, very well-known author back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And I kind of threw up on him for 25 minutes, telling him I was mad at God. I was done. This is how he treats his servants. I don't want anything to do with it. And Calvin said, I think you should write this. Uh, This is a book. Now, I'd never wanted to be an author, never thought I'd be an author, didn't try to be an author. And so I just, for the next year and a half, I just threw up on the page. I just wrote everything I could about how I felt about it. And um, long story short, that ended up um, getting into a book and really talking about my journey and the journey of others of dealing with chronic pain. And what do you do when God says no to healing? Hmm. And how do you deal with that? How do you walk in faith when God's not answering your prayers? And, um, and so that's kind of how it came, it came to be. And, um, we got a little Christian publisher out in South Dakota that, that came on board and wanted to publish it, which was a miracle because Christian publishers don't want to publish, um, first time authors that nobody knows, which of course is what I was. Um, and yet here it is. And, um, God used it in, in all kinds of ways. It's, um, Things that I never would have thought about, to be honest. Um, A friend of mine read it and loved it and sent it to his friend. And his friend ended up being Mike Ditka. Um, And so if you look at the uh, front cover, there's an endorsement from Mike Ditka. So um, that came about incredibly. You know, the guy said, oh, my friend's Mike Ditka. And I said, yeah, sure he is, you know. (laughs) He goes, uh, I said, well, if he really is, you tell him how much I appreciate the fact that he likes my book. And he says, I'll do one better. I'll have him call you. Wow. So about a week later, Mike Ditka called and had this wonderful conversation with him. He has really bad knees from playing football and Mm. um, just got to talking. And he said, I, you know, I just, you know, one of those things on the spot, I just went, how would you feel about endorsing the book? He's like, I'd love to. I'm like,
1: great. That's amazing.
2: So... God's just done some really neat things with it. It's, it, it, it's gotten translated into India and a couple other countries. And, and God's used this tiny little book from a guy nobody knows to really just help people understand what it is to walk mm-hmm. in the midst of hurting every day. And people all over the place have that. Um, but what we found as we were researching the book is there were, there were, we couldn't find any books Uh, Christian books written by people in pain Mm. we found theologians we found doctors but we couldn't find books written about somebody actually experiencing it and that's why we felt like it needed to get out um and so that's what happened so it came out in uh, 2013 and um it's been fun to kind of watch what God's done with it um
1: correct me if I'm wrong you have two books right
2: yeah, second one came out um in 2016 called The Beauty of Forgiveness. And um the funny thing about that was um it literally published about um about 3 months after I'd left the church and had been stabbed in the back. Oh. And so um send me, funny send me that book I need to read that one. <laughs> <laughs> So that was really amazing, like the the timing the Lord had for that one where it came out after I really needed to do some pretty big forgiveness of some very deep wounds that, to be honest, for almost um, about four and a half years now since I left are still there and still being dealt with. So, um, yeah. And then I'm actually just real quick. I'm actually writing a third book right now um, based on my ministry at Standing Stone called. what your pastor wishes you knew. <laughs> so. Wow, actually,
0: that's a book. I think that's a book that every church needs to like. I think every church in America needs to buy up enough copies to hand out to their uh, their congregation, uh, because I, I don't. i I honestly i think that's a book that everyone needs to read at some point just the title alone i I don't know how good the book's gonna be but you know what it's it's probably something you know i can't i can't promise it's gonna be good
1: you have an endorsement (laughs) from Ruben, like sight unseen
0: (laughs) (laughs) but the endorsement needs to say on the back of the book where actually where where mike's uh where mike's endorsement is where's mike's endorsement is it in here no it's Uh, in the back (laughs) uh where is it? I don't see it. Oh, there it is. Uh, wh- I think that should be mine. It should say every, everybody in every, every church should hand this out to their congregation. I don't know how good this book is, but everyone <laughs> needs to read it. That's going to be the official endorsement.
2: I should write the foreword no. for that book. Yeah. No. No. I'm thinking, I'm taking that might not sell many that way.
0: <laughs> Actually, you know what? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I, you know what? I, I have an in with Greg Laurie. Uh, I can probably get in front of him. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, we got to jump into signature question number two. You're right, we do. Uh, because hey. uh, Zoom just told me they're going to kick us off in eight minutes. Oh my so, gosh, okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, actually, signature question number two transitions, uh, it, that's a good transition, because signature question number two is based on quotes. Um, and the question is, if you had a life quote, I could, however big or small, it could not be any daily mantra or a Bible verse or anything like that, if you had a life quote, what would it be?
2: Wow. That's, that's a lot harder than tacos. Um, (laughs) Just saying. We've Um, had people
1: who thought the taco question was harder than that.
2: (laughs) Oh no, that's, that was easy. Um, Well, the the one that I've got on my board right now, and I'll just read it to you because I like it is instruction does much encouragement, everything.
0: Wow. That's actually really, uh, really meaningful. So what does that mean to you?
2: What it means to me is that, though it's great to learn and get smarter, that if we're not being Barnabases to people and encouraging people, we miss out on what it is to really journey with people. Hmm. I found that, um, you know, and this is a scriptural principle, knowledge puffs up and makes a lot of people have big egos because they think they know it all. Um, I heard somebody once say, I've met some of the most incredible Christian leaders across the world. And the majority of them that were super bright and super knowledgeable were the most unloving and most discouraging people I'd ever met. Wow. So I just really feel like I'm thankful that I'm not that smart. So I can just encourage people.
1: <laughs> I would disagree with you on that. <laughs> I that- think you're pretty smart.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's nice of you to, to think I'm pretty smart. Not you. Oh, well.
1: you. You are not.
0: Uh, hey, you know what? I'm I'm gonna upgrade the uh the account because I have a couple more questions that I want to make sure uh that we get oh. through. So I'm I'm upgrading I'm upgrading now. But if for whatever reason if we happen to get kicked off, uh, Todd will send you another link. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Um. So let's jump into question number three. Okay. Uh. This is how professional and prepared we are. Yeah. Uh. I'm
1: uh, Todd. I know Todd got that from <laughs> our communication before. So. <laughs>
0: So go ahead, ask him signature question number three. And I think that would be, I think we'll be good on that.
1: Okay. So signature question number three, kind of the reason this podcast was formed, actually. Um, Ruben and I have this consistent debate that we have, uh, that we've continued for pretty much our entire friendship almost. Yeah. Uh, because he believes one thing and I believe another. So this is the hardest of all questions. I'm sure <clears throat> you'll find it the hardest. Um <laughs> Can you have more than one
0: best friend outside of your significant other?
2: Wow, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Well, here's what I do know. Best friends or friend are very rare. Mm. Um, Not for I'm Moxie. (laughs) 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 Uh, They are really rare. Um, And it's amazing to me, Um, and I'll just give you an example when we thought we had quite a few friends at our church that we pastored at. And when we were, when I resigned, um, not one person reached out to us to see how we were. Um, and, uh, and that was really hard. So, um, I don't know if, I mean, it's it's a great question. So I guess all I would say is I have, I I have a couple guys that I've been friends with, for one of them for 40 years and one for 38 years. And those would be my two best friends. So I guess I can have more than one. Um, right. And I am so thankful to be honest with those guys. Cause they have been through hell and high water with me and I with them. And um, I wouldn't trade those guys for the world.
1: Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. I would agree with you, Todd. I, I don't know that Ruben would,
2: but no, I, I- Ruben I- thinks I can only
0: have one. Yeah. I here's the thing. I he's limiting you. <laughs> I believe that you can have as many good friends as you want. Uh, okay. Like there are plenty of great basketball players. There are plenty of great actors. You know, but only one of them at a time is the best. Um, yeah. You know, and we have we have award shows for a reason, uh, mm-hmm. and so that's I mean that's so I apply that to my friendships and and the person who ends up with. Uh, the title of Ruben J's best friend should be very, very honored.
1: Who is that person?
0: It's uh, <laughs> a great question. I'm still looking. <laughs> uh, so, so that's 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 my my take on that. Um, and uh, and I, I I think slowly but surely the, the world is is learning that.
1: Nope, nope. I'm definitely <laughs> still in the lead on opinions here. Yeah, but th- <laughs> I
0: mean, none of those actually matter. So, oh, just the ones on my wow. side matter. Uh, so, so Todd, I want to I want to take a complete swing and 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 hopefully not a miss uh, into left field. Uh, I have no I, idea what he's doing, and I hope that we yeah. Th- well, we didn't talk about this, but cool. Uh, I feel like this is uh, I feel like I'm this is being downloaded from the cloud.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Um, you know, uh, so right now we're recording this on the twenty fifth of June. It's what? the
2: 26th,
0: 26th of June.
1: Sorry. You're off to a great, you're, cl- you're
0: really close. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't remember what day of the week it is. Is it, is it Tuesday? <laughs>
1: no, it's Friday. Dang
0: it. Um, you know, so we're currently in the middle of coronavirus. Uh, we're seeing States, uh, s- numbers starting to, to spike. Uh, we're also mm. in the middle of, um, upheaval in, in this country. You know, lots of people, uh, have claims that need to be heard uh and and a lot of uh very uh genuine grievances grievances sorry grievances 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 that's what i said yes Uh, (laughs) and um and a lot of people and i also think there are a lot of people who are, are attaching a bandwagon to that and just kind of allowing the unruliness of the situation kind of become their mantra so Uh, and if you don't feel comfortable answering this question, it's fine. We can, we can cut this out and, and not, you know, not move forward with it, but I want to at least present it in this way. Uh, you know, to to the people who are sitting at home watching the news and feeling like the world is coming to an end, what message would you give to them? And then also the people who are, you know, airing these grievances, grievances, my gosh, I cannot speak to save my life. Uh, and, and, and are, you know, they have something that they need to say, like, what would you say to them? What encouragement or wisdom would you, uh, yeah. bestow on both sides of, of this, uh, situation here?
2: Yeah. I think the first thing is turn your TV off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I, I, really believe just, just, you know, and, and I'm joking a little bit, but I do think that, um, I know, I know from some of my older friends that are, you know, sitting and watching the news all day long, they're just keep getting depressed. Uh, because it's, you know, it just isn't any good news. I don't think there's been a lot of good news um, for a while, but I I think to some extent we have to take all of this with, here's our reality, right? Um, I like the, the explanation of the coronavirus is this kind of fog of war idea. Mm-hmm. We really have been in a fog of war uh, worldwide because you hear one thing one week and then the next week you hear something else. And what do you believe in? What don't you believe in? If you're on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle, you, you believe different things. And, um, and I do think that, that people are, are struggling with this. Um, but if I'm talking to Christians at home, I would just say this, um, somehow, and in both issues, by the way, with civil unrest and, and the coronavirus is, somehow you've got to get out of your political mind for a minute and understand these are human beings. Um, people that are dying from coronavirus, and now we know that it affects all ages. Um, there are young people dying from this and old people dying from this. Um, these are people that matter. Um, and then where my heart really is these days is with the civil unrest issues. And I'm going to try to be as honest, like, as I can with this to say, uh, if you're sitting in a, in a white church, predominantly white church, you're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I include myself in that because I really don't think we have been good listeners and good learners. Um, A lot of the pastors that I'm dealing with right now are not sure what to do. And I told a lot of them, that's probably a good place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't go on social media and say stuff. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. Um, Find your African-American brothers and sisters in Christ why not, you know, non-believing African-Americans and begin to listen. Um, one of the things I've noticed just in the last three or four weeks by listening is I've learned a ton of stuff. And let me just give you one thing that, that really hit me sh- strong. I was listening to T.D. Jakes interview and the interview asked him something about holidays. I, I can't remember how it even got into the conversation. And he said, you want me to tell you what my worst holiday is? And he said, yeah, he goes, it's Fourth of July. And I thought, hmm. And he says, why is it 4th of July? And he says, well, because it's 1776 when the Declaration of Independence in our country officially started, I was only three-fifths of a man. What do I have to celebrate? And it hit me that I had never thought of that, never contemplated that, had no idea that that African-Americans felt that way. And I don't know if they all do, but I can sure understand that they would. And all of a sudden, I realized, I just learned something new. And no wonder, if I was an African American, I wouldn't be celebrating that either. Because they weren't even considered human. And so I think for us, especially in the white church, is we have to at least admit there's an issue. And we have to at least get to the place where we say, we're part of the problem. Now, you may not think you're a racist, you may not think you're You would ever do anything that is seen terribly, but silence and indifference is just as bad in my mind, especially as you think about it as with our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ, where if they're hurting, we should be hurting. If they're angry, we should be angry. Why is it? You know, Martin Luther King used to say the most segregated hour of the week is 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Um, that's that's disgusting to me, hmm. is why have we done that? And I'm not saying it's all white people's fault. I'm just saying there is huge segregation in the church, and I don't think that that helps the situation.
1: That actually, that brings up something that uh, you kind of pounded in my head a little bit in counseling when I was in counseling with you like two years ago. Um, and it's something that I, as I go into my new relationships, as I uh, learn to address people and learn to listen better and learn to hmm. help the situations. Oh, hush. <laughs> um,
2: you both can have counseling afterwards, by the way, free of charge. We
1: might, I, we're might. we actually going to need it. Uh,
2: <laughs> Only if we can bring in camera crew. <laughs>
1: um, one of the things that I have taken with me from the sessions that I did with you is that no matter regardless of whether you think someone else's pain is justified, they are still feeling pain and your feelings are valid. Like regardless of whether I
0: feel personally attacked right now. Well, I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And as well, and as you said, all of that, that came back to me and I remembered how I had to rewire my brain to feel that way about somebody that I loved. And now I'm going to take that into consideration as I look at these situations, as I remember, like, just because I may not feel, or somebody else may not feel, or anyone may not feel like this is all justified, the pain is very real and it's very justified.
2: Yeah. And I think it's part of, you know, you and I talked about this before Moxie, which is you can't tell someone to unfeel. Mm. And I know, uh, just being honest, early on in my marriage, um, if I thought my wife was being silly with her emotions or overreacting, I would tell her to knock it off. Um, That that didn't work well. I just want (laughs) to tell you that. Um, We have been married 30 years now, so I've gotten better. Um, But the point being is that if she feels scared or she feels angry or she feels fill in the blank... I need, to, I need to at least be open to understand what she feels, even if I don't feel the same way. Because the fact that she's feeling it and the fact that we are one based on the scriptures, I need to care about that. Well, what's the difference about that in the church? Mm. Right? Chinese Christians, uh, Hispanic Christians, African, I mean, you know, go across the board. If they're, if they're in, in distress over something, that should matter to me. And if I'm honest, it hasn't. It hasn't moved me to action. It hasn't moved me to learn more. It hasn't moved me to do anything to help. And and shame on me. So, um, so,
0: so here here's kind of the, the the dilemma that I kind of I kind of feel. Um, yep. and and maybe you can help me work through this. Please help him. Work <laughs> uh, it. You know because. <laughs> Because every time that there is a black a black man or woman who is shot by the police, whether whether the police department can justify it or not, my heart breaks because that is a soul that has been lost, a life that has been lost. Uh, whenever a white person is shot and killed by police or whatever, you know, uh, some random hooligan uh, on, on the street, uh, you know, my heart is, my heart is broken, especially, you know, it, it, for me, it doesn't matter, you know, like what the, the skin yeah. color is. Obviously, um, there are, there's a, a massive amount of people in this world and in this nation who, you know, uh, feel like, you know, they're, they're targeted, that they're, the system's against them. Um, and, and while, I kind of have this situation where it's kind of like the best of both worlds, where I'm a minority, uh, but I happen to look and sound white, <laughs> you know. Uh, so He's I. It's actually it. Chinese. I, I'm very, yeah, very much. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I saw that from meeting
2: the first time I met you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. So you know. So what I see on the, on the TV is, and just in general, you know, even with my friends who are very vocal about how they feel. Is that they feel like because, uh, and this is kind of my interpretation, I'm not saying this is exactly how they feel, but there are yeah. some people who have said this, that, uh, you know, you kill one of ours, so we're going to go and, and destroy your your neighborhood. We're going to go destroy your life, you know, and I don't feel like that's right, personally. Uh, yeah. And I, I feel like there's a lot of people who, like I said earlier, are taking this situation and attaching a political movement behind it. Cause this isn't a political situation. This isn't this, right. the, the death of George Floyd is not a political issue. It, it's, right. it's a, it's a spiritual, a uh, moral human problem that both the right, the left and anyone in between, we should all be on board and say it was not right. Um, yeah. But I also believe that we should also right, left center should also think that it's not right for you to go and destroy people's businesses, destroy, destroy people's mm-hmm. property Kill people who you know oppose you, um, so with that, like, how do how do I take you know that feeling and turn that into okay? Let me listen to what you have to say about everything else as well, because sometimes for me personally, and it's me being me being honest, uh, I can't, I sometimes can't overlook the fact that there have been people who who have you know people who have, are also black men have been killed during the Black Lives Matter you know the the, the BLM protests and riots. Uh, yeah. and, and for me, it's like, you guys are kind of being counterproductive. So how, you know, maybe, yeah. I don't know, I don't, maybe, maybe this doesn't make the air. I don't know. We'll find. No, I think
2: it's, I, I actually, I think it's a great question. And I think the hard part Ruben is this because we're in such a political polarization in our culture today, um, where no one seems to want to cross the aisle and handshake and even come to compromise on anything. So everything's a political movement. So this automatically became political. Um, Here's here's what I would say, again, is if I can take my politics and put them to the side for a moment and understand what a young Black male lives with, I think I'm getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, nobody in their right mind thinks looting, burning buildings is right or is a good thing. I think the problem is, is that the idea of Black Lives Matter, even though the maybe some of the heads of it and other people that are getting involved in it are trying to just destroy things. The message is, is the important part. And I think it's more than, does do African-Americans get shot by, you know do unarmed African-Americans get shot by police more? Because actually statistics show the other, show the more white. Um, I don't think that's the issue. Here's the issue is if you and I, Ruben, we're driving on the freeway in LA at midnight and broke down and a CHP pulled up behind us. My guess is you and I would feel better about that. We would, we would relax.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that.
2: We would feel like here's, here comes our hero. That's not how an African-American feels in the middle of the night when a cop shows up. So let me give you an example of that. Um, I have a pastor friend, uh, we'll call him uh, George. George, not his real name. And I had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago and I was just asking him, like, how is this going for you? And he says, it's been really rough. And I said, could you just share like what it's been like? And he said, well, here, I'll give you a prime example. Six months ago, I'm driving with my wife and his wife is white and I get pulled over for no reason. I put my window down, the cop comes, he doesn't address me at all he looks right across from me and right into the passenger seat and asks my wife, ma'am, are you okay? Wow. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm just checking to be you're Okay. She says, of course I'm okay. This is my husband. He was pulled over because there was a white woman in his passenger seat. He didn't get a ticket. He didn't get anything. He was at, they, off he went. That to me is the issue is, is why in the world would he get pulled over? He didn't do anything wrong. And that's the kind of thing that happens over and over and over again. And I think that's more of the issue than the the police shootings, as horrible as those are, that it's much more the fear that, you know, and he he explained this to me. And I didn't know this. Maybe you guys have heard of this. He said, have you ever heard of the talk? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I've never heard of the talk. He says, well, this is what my mom sat me down with. And this is what every African-American parent sits them down with. You get pulled over. You have one goal—that's to get home safe. Your hands go on the steering wheel. Your window goes down, and you say, "Yes, sir." No, sir. And you do whatever they say. That's not how I—I'd f- never had heard that talk. My talk was, "Be sure you're, you know, home before the curfew." Um. So I think the fear that African American uh, young men, specifically, and their mothers. Because a lot of them and and fathers that are waiting at home wondering, um, is my son going to get home safe? That's a real issue. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for this. So if I can get rid of the politics and I can get rid of the crazy looting and everything and get down to the issue of how does that change? And how do I have a role in changing that? I think to me that's where we start, and at least as we as we relate it to the church, I have a role in the church to be able to be sure my brothers and sisters that don't look like me, come from a different background than me, that either have a different language or um, different skin color, that I care about them just as much as I care about my white people that walk into the church. And let's be honest, history in the United States doesn't show that.
0: Yeah, it's you know. It's, it's a tough, tough thing that, that honestly it's going on right now because, uh, you know, we have documents in our country that say all men are created equal by the thing. Yeah. Um, the thing- the, you know, the thing. Nice Joe Biden. Uh, thanks. Uh, I think I still have that. No, never mind. I don't. Um, you know, so, but for a big portion of our of our history that hasn't been true. And and it's it's a it's a black guy on America. Well, I and think. it's
1: and it's you know it's actions speak louder than words, yeah. especially in the case of America's history.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, before, I, I don't want I don't. Can the, I right? just say one more thing
2: on that because I think it's important? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Of course. Which course. is this: our problem today is it seems like you have to be on one side or the other. Yeah. So if I say Black Lives Matter, then people say, "Oh, you don't care about cops." or if I say blue lives matter, then you don't care about blacks. Why can't I care about both? Why can't I say that there's something in the system of the way the police work, which is if there is a bad cop or he's doing bad things, you can't turn him in. If you turn him in, your career's over. I'm a police chaplain here in Uplands and I've sat with cops in, in cars and there's, they've told me you can never turn your back on A police officer, or turn them in because your career's over. So there's something in in eight in the system that says, "I see that guy doing what he shouldn't be doing, but I can't, I can't say anything." Exactly what happened with George Floyd: three officers standing there, they were trainees, they were guys that were brand new on the job, and that was the guy that was training them was killing George Floyd, right? And so, to me, it's can I can I have can I hit? Can I have kind of hold on both lightly and say they both matter, and how do I help a situation that? And, and again, for Christians, I think it starts with us just saying, "How about I care about people that don't look like me, sound like me, um, believe exactly like me, and get away from the political crap." That's on both sides, which is everything's got to be political. No, this is a human justice issue. People matter to God, and because they matter to God, they should matter to us.
0: Amen to that. I mean, I don't think there's any any better way to say it. Mike, honestly, Mike, no, don't <laughs> don't drop the microphones. They're expensive oh. microphones. Uh, you know, Todd, I, I appreciate you saying that because I think, unfortunately, on both sides, there are people who say. You know, if, if you're on the side of the police, then like you said, you don't care about the, about the minorities and the black people in this community. And it's like, no, I, I I also care about the police. Like they're like, I don't care what your job title is. I don't care again, what your skin color is. I don't care what any, any of that stuff. I don't care how much money's in your bank account. Uh, if you're a human life, uh, which I believe all of us except for Moxie are, uh, then, then, you know, we, we, I should care about you at just a hu- human level, you know, yeah. and it doesn't matter. Uh, again, like, like I've explained to people like, like, yeah, did George Floyd technically break the law when the police were called. Yeah. I mean, using counterfeit money is, is illegal. It's, it's against the law, but it wasn't worth his life. You know, And yeah. it, it, it probably honestly probably could have just been a simple, hey, dude, just come on, knock it off. You know, like yeah. nothing to see here. So uh, yeah. I, I appreciate you saying that the way that you did as well, because I, you know, I think a lot of people on both sides need to stop and realize, you know, I think if this world just valued human life more on a broad scale, and we can talk yeah. about what that means some other time, uh, because I don't want to, I don't want to get, into that's that. a good one. Yeah. You know, like, like the super basic human life needs to be, uh, needs to be appreciated and loved and you know, just valued. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think once we get there as a society where life overall is valued, uh, and that can be, uh, I'm not gonna get into it, but it can be, there's a wide spectrum of things where valuing life is super important. Uh, I think that will change a lot in the way that we look at each other, you know, because if every part of life is valued, the good and the bad, and yeah. every individual life is also valued, I think that will start bringing the sides together. Yeah. But unfortunately, I feel like we have, um, you know, a pissing con- contest as to which which life matters more. And yeah. Yeah. if you're going to make me yeah. choose between lives, you know, like it, it's not a choice I can make.
2: Yeah. So I think part of that too, Ruben, is if I look at you and I see created in the image of God and I look at Moxie and see created in the image of God. There's value because the creator created you. Yeah. And therefore, no matter if you live in the slums or you live in a mansion with your white, you're black, whatever, you have value in and of yourself because the creator made you. Jeremiah says, I knew you before you're in your mother's womb. God said this. I knew you before your mother's womb. Um, and I appointed you to be a prophet, meaning he gave us purpose. So God has not only knew us before our mothers even knew we were pregnant with us. But also appointed us for a role, a purpose. And if we understand that every single human being, no matter where they are, has a purpose that God created in them, then it's my role, and that's going back to the encourager. How do I encourage that out? That's one of the wonderful things I love to do is help people find their purpose. And what it and then go live that out. Because when you find your purpose, man, life, life becomes amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't know how much deeper we can go. Uh,
1: <laughs> I have about a thousand more questions. I, I know. <laughs> I know. And we're, we're already
0: at the 51 minute mark. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, I guess
1: I have one more question. No. Okay. Well, Todd's going to do it anyways. Value, so. <laughs> all right, Todd, uh, we're going to end with something fun.
2: Okay. I want Mountain Dew with my tacos. What else do you need to know? <laughs> Noted.
1: Awesome. Okay. Who's your favorite player on the Rams?
0: Um, Do you even know what the Rams are?
1: Yeah, it's a football team. I know that. Very good,
2: Moxie. I'm proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go.
0: And we are back. That was our conversation with... uh, Senator Ted Cruz.
1: No, no, not even. I first of all, he didn't announce he was running for the presidency this year, unlike other people currently. So um, that was Todd Redberg. I, I really liked that. I You know, Todd has been one of my favorite people for a, a long time. He's been one of my favorite pastors for a long time. Ruben, what was your favorite part of that interview? Cool. Okay.
0: Um, <laughs> my uh, my favorite part of that interview uh, was that we we talked about stuff, and it was a great conversation. Um, no, but in reality, I actually I really enjoyed that conversation. I really here's what I liked: I liked that he was willing to discuss things that most pastors shy away from he wasn't afraid to to say what he truly believed in regards to some of the questions I asked and I asked him some serious stuff um and and I think you asked him a question or two as well that that were outside of the uh the signature questions so uh yeah that was what I liked that's what I enjoyed about this this week's episode with uh with Ted Cruz
1: (laughs) one day one of these days Ruben one of these days, I just.
0: One of these yep. days, what?
1: You're you're gonna, you, things.
0: <laughs> and stuff. Are you having a stroke? No. Is your concussion you acting smell up? Burnt toast? <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, first of all, we're not even in the same room. So if I smelt burnt toast.
1: If you smelt, if I smelt burnt toast, (laughs) I think I am having a stroke. Please call (laughs) 911.
0: No. Uh, all right, cool. So we will be back in uh, in about seven days with another episode of You're my best friend. Uh, Again, if you enjoyed this episode for whatever reasons, share it on your social media, share it with your friends, share it with somebody who might, uh, might enjoy this. Share it with your pastor. Uh, if if you have a pastor, um, and if, and if your pastor doesn't have a pastor that pastors them, then they should call Ted Cruz. No, but okay. (laughs) Uh, all right, cool. Well, I have nothing else to talk about. Do you have anything else you want to talk about?
1: Unless you want to talk about eels again? No,
0: Mm, no. All
1: right. Then I think that's it for us.
0: No, I, I, I do want to end, uh, on this quick note. Uh, if you are 18 years old and
1: (laughs) if you are of 18 years or older, call this number eight, 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 I don't know.
0: Why do you interrupt me with stuff? That's not funny
1: because you keep telling me to interrupt you more and I'm trying my best. Mm,
0: Okay. If you're 18 (laughs) years old and you are registered and you're not registered to vote, but you are legally able to vote, uh, go register to vote. Uh, this election Mm. is the most important election uh, probably in modern American history. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but you should go vote uh, on <laughs> November 3rd.
1: Seriously, go vote. I don't care who you're voting for. Just exercise your civic right. If there's anything that we've been learning recently, it's that your voice matters. And what better way to have your voice heard than in a way that we all get to exercise like we all get to be equal we all get one vote we all get one say and we get a say in something that actually matters my parents have always said like you know my my parents follow politics a lot they're not really big sports people but they say you know why would i why would i follow a sport team a, a football team like at the end of the day if oh, my dad used to say Kobe, uh, at the end of the day, if the Lakers lose, I'm going to be sad, but like, I'm going to move on with my life. But at the end of the day, you know, your guy wins or loses. It doesn't affect your life, but in politics, your guy wins or loses that directly affects pretty much every area of your life in some small subliminal way, whether you see it or not. Um, this is not a year to, uh, not be into politics or something like that. Like, this is a year to get educated, get informed, and go vote. And I could not agree with my co host more.
0: And if you don't vote, find yourself on a boat somewhere near the factory that makes all the coats.
1: And make sure that boat floats.
0: All right. <laughs> all right well my name is ruben jay
1: and my name is moxie N.
0: that was that was terrible that was le- i
1: know it was really bad just move on from it was legitimately okay? terrible yeah i know, let's, I know. Tr- let's
0: try that again let's try it again okay <laughs>
1: oh my I- name is ruben jay You can't do that. My name is Ruben J. No, no. I'm just going to stop.
0: My name is Ruben J. And
1: I'm Moxie Ann.
0: And we are out of time.
1: Are out of time.
0: Such a massive (laughs) delay.
1: Okay, I'm going to go FaceTime Eels. Bye.